we're still in a series, uh, Operation Red. So in our modern Bibles, they make Jesus' words many times red. So we see the actual what he actually said to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 5, we spent some time. Uh, last week was a Star Wars theme. If you're a Star Wars fan and you missed it, I'm sorry. But next week, even though we're not doing Star Wars, you're welcome to wear your Stormtrooper outfit or whatever you want to do. Come in. It's okay. People might look at you strange, but don't worry about it. Do it anyway. Um, but we, we were talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you remember the little movie clip I showed is where he has his, um, you know, the Force or, or whatever his his uh, powers they had. And so he could wave his hand and say, you know, you, these droids are not the droids you're looking for, if you remember that. So wouldn't that be nice if we all had that kind of influence, right? Um, you know, we aren't into the magic and the hocus pocus and, and all that stuff, but God truly gives us power to influence our world. And so that was what we uh, looked at last week. But on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a series on the seven deadly sins. And what's been interesting is even though both of these series, the seven deadly sins is new to me. I have not done that before. This series we did four years ago, and I've changed up a little bit, but all of a sudden they coincided where one week, Wednesday night, was about wrath on the seven deadly sins, and Sunday, looking at the red letters, it was different scripture, but it was lining up. This week, Wednesday night, we talked about lust, and today, that's what the Lord has led in this series as well. Now listen, I will tell you, if you have younger ones today, I, it's not going to be um, too strong, but just know that I am going to be talking about lust and, and things that, that uh, come from that. Um, so if, if they need to be in kids' church, that's fine. That's up to you. Um, I, I want to pick on someone this morning. I don't usually pick on. I've got so many choices today. <laughs> Jonathan. Just because nobody can miss you. Jonathan, will you, still, will you still be my friend if I have you come up here? Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, now, I picked him because he's in no way going to feel threatened by me because he's bigger than me. But, <laughs> you know, in some countries, in some countries, if you steal or whatever, they could cut off your hand. I mean, their penalties are very harsh. And, you know, I can't imagine thinking about losing a limb because of a bad decision you made, right? I, I, I sinned, I messed up, I'm caught, but now I'm going to be minus one hand. But, but, Jonathan, if you were in a country like that and they said, okay, we're going to give you a choice, we can either take off your hand, take out, and it has to be like your right hand or whatever, or your, your eye. If you have one better than the other, it's a better eye. Or we're going to take your heart out. What one are you going to pick? Hand. hand. Yeah. You sure? You sure? That was came pretty easy. Like, you didn't have to even think about that very long. <laughs> <laughs> but can you kind of tell me what went through your mind? Like, why, why your hand? I don't know. Uh, I got a Mexican. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, listen, this is a place of education, higher learning. I mean, we have, we have just seen a display of some of the, the highest level of thinking. All right, thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> I just saw a, a video on Facebook that was from a year ago that we were pouring the foundation. Jonathan was out there. He's been in from the ground up on our building project. And uh, great guy. And I saw another one, Gladys, of when I baptized uh, your, uh, Colton at the creek because we, we now use a horse trough. It used to go to the creek even when it got a little cold. And her, uh, her son Colton scared me to death. We're at this overpass with a creek under it. And there's like concrete, you know, for the supporting things and a little bit of water. And I mean, it was deep there, but a little bit of water. And I'm getting down there, getting ready to baptize this young man. All of a sudden I hear, heads up. I look, he does a flip off that bridge and lands between concrete and a little bit of water. Like it reminds me of those cartoons where the guy dives in the bucket of water. And my heart about stopped. 
I thought, you're, you're not going to have baptismal. You're going to be carting me out of there. Um, I'll never, that is, of all the baptisms I did, I mean, I've done a lot of memorable ones, but that one I'll never forget. Well, what, what if I said I was going to, you know, we had to cut off your hand and that choice, the hand eye. You know, why would it be the hand? Well, it's interesting that Jonathan and, and we would make such a quick choice over something of so, so big of importance that quick. So it seems like the severity of consequences seems to be important when talking about life or limb, huh? I mean, it depends on what the consequences are. I lose my hand. I got to think th- through those. But man, that was so quick to make that decision. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, it says, You have heard that the law of Moses says, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, right? The law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with, with, her, heart, with her in his heart. So, so nobody leave. Nobody leave if you're feeling convicted. I'm kidding. So uh, verse 28, or verse 29. So if your eye, even if it's your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. So we'll be passing out some skewers here pretty soon. Verse 30. And if your hand, even if it's your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 31, you have heard that the law of Moses says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a letter of divorce. But I say the man who divorces his wife, unless he has, she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. This is one of the most charged things for uh, one of the most and has been for a church to talk about. I want you to know that I compassion. I have walked journeys with people who have been divorced multiple times. And I have plenty of things in my past that I uh, wish were different. And uh, some of them brought on by me, some brought on by other people. But when God forgives, the Bible says he has forgotten it as far as the east is from the west. So even in a divorce situation where you might have been at fault or you feel that you're at fault, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient today. And that once you have given that over to God, if you remember it, guess who's reminding you? It's not God. There's only two forces it's evil or good. It's God or Satan. And it's Satan and his demons that is trying to remind you of the past once you get into God. Now, he can take that past and he can use parts from it to bring you to another place in life and teach you lessons. But it's not him trying to condemn you. Okay? So let me say that. But we do know that divorce is not his intention. It wasn't his design. God hates it. He doesn't hate the people. He hates the that what's happened to the break in the relationship just as much as he hates when the church body splits, when there's divorce of a body of believers. I've been amazed how plainly the Bible speaks on topics, and and, uh, though inspired of God and full of deep content, scriptures are relatively easy to understand in in our modern translations. But the problem for most is not them understanding what the scriptures say, it's how to apply them in everyday life. That's the problem. I remember we had a, a the, the big truck, the big ugly truck I drive, the spray painted one, the, the project truck, the diesel. Um, you know, I got that through a situation where a guy that came to church got saved, but he had a he had an alcohol problem, and God was taking off the rough edges. But on Wednesday night we had a smaller group, and he'd stand up and say he'd say all kinds of things at Brian, but he was trying to read through the Bible. He was trying to get to know the Lord and. And know his word, and he was getting through kings and judges. And if you run through, run through Old Testament, you know, Numbers, 
<laughs> he came in one Wednesday night, and I'm going to use a word my mom doesn't like, but he says, what is all this kings and ju- judges crap? I can't understand a word of what's going on in there. And, and, you know, I loved his honesty, even though everybody's eyebrows raised when he said that, you know. But it's true. It's sometimes harder to know how to apply it to our life than it is just to understand what's being said. You know, we have so many advancements in communication, yet it seems like people are misunderstood often. How can we have the greatest technology we've ever had with these smartphones and texting and all this stuff? And we should have better communication, right? But yet people are getting angry at each other. There's more division. There's more problems in the world. What is going on there? With all this technology, why is it getting harder to be understood and to understand and to be able to apply God's word to our lives? Maybe it's because we don't really believe what the Bible says hell will be like. And so... It's when we talk about the severity of consequences. If we could be transported for a moment into hell and understand what hell is going to be like for those who make the decision to turn away from God, if we could understand that, I have a feeling when we come back, it would change. Do you think it would change your decision making? I mean, we're talking about a hand or eye or a heart. I think we'd understand that, hey, listen, I might take that scripture a lot more literally if I'd actually visit hell and come back then the next time my eye starts to offend me, I'm going to pull out. Now, I, I'm going to tell you from Scripture, Jesus was not teaching us to really take and gouge out our eye. Now, I will tell you, I take the Bible literally. So when I say Jesus is speaking figuratively here, it's not figuratively just to throw something out there. What he's trying to teach you is there is a zeal, there is a, an emergent feeling, there is, there is an importance that has to be life or death, how you take things like lust. When we talk about the seven deadly sins, we, we sometimes play off the word deadly because, you know, Halloween, it's all about death, right? And the dead and the demons and things like that. And we're desensitized to what, what, what that word really, the gravity, it, it holds. This morning I want to talk about these very sensitive subjects of adultery and lust and a little bit about divorce, but not, not much on that is mainly because that's not always derived from the first two, adultery or lust. There's within me this desire to overlook these subjects, just like it was hard for me to have you face each other. You know, I'm telling you, as a, if any pastor's really honest, he's going to tell you, you try to do something like that, and you start wondering, I wonder how many are not going to be back next Sunday. I've read two books, like of church, you know, smartness books, that's what I call them, that say you shouldn't even have people hug anymore. That people anymore in this day and age, that weirds them out to have that kind of contact with each other when they don't know each other. And if you do that... And we, we used to do that really often, and I'm just going to admit my mistake. I believed that book long, uh, long enough and believed it enough. We stopped for a while, and I think I saw the culture shift very quick in our church away from what it should be. I thought, well, you know, look, we'd have a Sunday or two where people are missing. I think, well, it must be the hugging. <laughs> it must be that. People just don't want to, you know, especially get in this building and get a little sweaty because it won't stay cool enough, and then you're all sharing it. You know, nobody wants that. I don't want to really talk about these things today, and we don't have a lot of time to deep dive, but I'm going to tell you we have to because God's word is not there as a rule book for the sake of just keeping us in line. It is a rescue line to keep us out of the trouble we will get ourselves in if we don't heed the word, uh, God's word. With that said, let's just do a little review. In our study of Matthew 5, we've, we've looked at integrity, We've looked at righteousness of Jesus, how we, we take on his righteousness. Ours is filthy rags. 
And last week we talked about the influence. Remember the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the influence he, he wants to have over us or, or us to have over the, uh, the people we are ministering to. So I'm going to shoot straight to you this morning that I'm going to mainly be talking to the men, but I don't want the women to, to check out this morning because this will apply to you. But men, it is proven that we have a harder time with lust than the women do. That on, that on average, uh, things that come to fruition from lust, problems in our lives that come from that, that, that men struggle more on this than women. Now, some of you are going to challenge that, but I'm just going to tell you that it's been, it been proven. So jumping into the word, when it said you've heard in your heart, or you've heard that the law of Moses says do not commit adultery, I'm telling you that you even look at a woman with lust in your eye, you've already committed adultery with her in heart. Now, Jesus begins his teaching, by, once again, by using the phrase, you've heard that it was said. Jesus is trying to correct the religious teachers who, I have seen this happen in our own area with a church. It, it's uncanny how things repeat themselves. But a minister lets some kind of sin in his wife. He starts okaying it, right? He starts okaying it, trying to figure out how it fits with, how he can fit that with God's word because he doesn't want to give it up. Well, then the only way to do that is you've got to get your congregation or you've got to get your followers to, to believe that same thing because otherwise they catch you in it and they still think it's wrong. And so um, what's happening with the religious teachers, they're saying, hey, you've, you know, here's the thing. It says don't commit adultery. So, but you can think anything in your mind and it's not bad. That's the gist of what's going on. It's kind of like the other things we talked about where they're trying to okay. They're coming up with a second list of laws to define the first ones and okay their actions. And, and so they're telling people, yeah, you can think, uh, you can have lustful thoughts in your mind. As long as you don't act, act on it, you're okay. And so Jesus is not saying that their teaching of you shall not commit adultery is wrong. He's not trying to negate that. He's just saying you've heard it said in the law of Moses that you should not commit adultery. I'm telling you that the adultery is already happening in your mind when you're thinking of it. So, so it's still sin. It's what happens in the heart, not the actions. The actions are the byproduct of what happens in the heart. A man could lust after a woman in their minds, fantasize about her, just as long as he did not physically commit that act of adultery. And so the focus of their teaching was on the action and not the heart. So Jesus, however, gets to the heart of the matter. And so he says, I, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. You see, before a man ever commits adultery with his body, he first commits it in his mind. In his heart, he's already done it. He's already had her. With his eyes, he has already undressed her. And in his mind, he has already committed the actions. Jesus teaches us that good fruit comes from a good heart. He also tells us that bad fruit comes from a corrupt heart. He goes on to teach us that what is in the heart of a man is what will come out in his words and actions. So again, it's a mantra by now. You've heard me say it so many times. The tube of toothpaste analogy. I'd almost stop and just have someone tell it because you guys have heard it so much. But if you went to brush your teeth in the morning and you grab a tooth of toothpaste and you squeeze it and chicken poo comes out and you smell right away, something's not right, it looks wrong. You're like, how in the world did that happen, right? And often what the world sees in Christians is, is we don't let our lives be filled with the things of God. We fill it with other things. And when the pressure's on, when you lose a job or this happens or that happens or people press you and all of a sudden the temper flares and then all of a sudden stuff comes out and they're like, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with God's word. Now we're not going to be perfect. We have moments. But, but what I'm saying is, is that consistently when pressure's on you, what is coming out of you? 
Facebook is the best tube of toothpaste I've ever seen on this analogy. I know pastor friends of bigger churches, they say they no longer have a personal account or look at Facebook too often. They get on their post stuff to encourage the church. They don't look at it because they said if they read all their folks' posts in the church, they feel like they're failing as a pastor all the time. Because they see things, they're like, wait a minute, you worship with me, you praise Jesus, and you do all these things, and you're posting that on Facebook? That tells me what you're filling your life with. Wednesday night when we talked about lust, I mentioned, you know, without breaking confidence, I, I had a, 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 a dad contact me that's never gone to this church. He just contacted me because his pastor was busy or out of town and said, look, my son accepted the Lord, my young son, and I'm excited, but I'm dealing with pornography and I can't stand the thought of him discovering that or whatever, but I can't seem to break loose of this. And I don't want to turn my son away from the Lord or expose him to that. Now I'm, you'd think I'd be happy, but now I'm scared, you know? And we talked a moment and I said, well, how much are you filling your day with the things of the Lord? Like prayer or Bible reading or worship music. When you don't have time to stop and read, when you don't have time to, to get focused down on prayer, are you just filling your life with with worship to God and he said no I said well that's part of the issue that's part of the issue because the more you fill yourself with the things of God the less room the enemy has to mess with you that's why when Jesus was tempted by Satan he quotes scripture back at him he's he quoted his he is the word and he's quoting back to him and that's what defeated the devil and his temptations so let me just clarify something Jesus is not telling us that the physical act of adultery listen to this and the adultery of the mind are the same thing. Both are sins, yes. Both of them are problems. But listen, one has a lot more fallout than the other. So we're not lessening the fact that when you have those thoughts in your mind and you dwell on them, that that's not a problem for you spiritually. What we're saying is, is that it, it is causing harm, yes, to your spouse because you will react differently to her when you get in the habit of entertaining those thoughts. You will treat her differently. As much as you think you're hiding it and you're doing things will change outburst and different things that will happen because you're trying to struggle with this thing and hide it but if the act actually happens the the harm and getting over that is much harder so i don't want to confuse you number one jesus is not telling us that that because what will happen is it's just like i've said the danger of the hyper grace movement where people go so far with jesus with the grace of what jesus did on the cross that they say well you can sin all you want because the grace has covered it and that's another instance where they're, they're trying to give themselves a get-out-of-jail-free card. In the same instance, this topic, when we say um, that it's the same thing as whether it's in your mind or you act on it, some might take it to the stream and say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well go through with it in the flesh. I might as well go through with the action. Further, that could be furthest from the truth. The action of adultery can bring great pain and damage. But if we can't get our lust under control... And under the Lordship of Christ, much damage. If we can get it under that, under the Lordship of Christ, a lot of damage can be avoided. It's like we talked about murder. You've heard it said not to murder, and, but I say don't, don't let yourself be angry. What Jesus is dealing with continually on this is that, listen, I actually have a personal friend who was jailed for murder and exonerated because he, he didn't do it but but you would find yourself if you got to a point that you're in there and you're facing that and you'd actually done the act I guarantee you anyone there is saying like how did I get to this point 
At some point, they're asking a question, how did I get from, when, when my mama raised me, maybe there's abuse, maybe they can point back to something, but uh, uh, you didn't just start out, come out of the womb and be like, I'm ready to kill somebody, right? It's because the reason Jesus is attacking that is because those thoughts and those internal things, when nurtured and giving, given rule in our life, lead us to the majors. The seven deadly sins happen when people make the small decisions to turn away from God's ways and continue in that. So listen, are you beyond being in prison for murder? No. You can be a few bad decisions away from that. There, there, are, there are spouses who have caught their spouse in the act of adultery and out of a fit of rage in a moment acted on that rage. But that rage was already building. You may have enough fear over being caught in adultery to never act on the adultery being committed, but in your mind, nevertheless, you, your thought life has to be surrendered to Christ. Scripture talks about arresting those stray thoughts. Billy Graham, the world-famous evangelist who has been gone, since passed, early in his ministry made a co- covenant with his wife never to be alone with a woman. Not in an elevator, not otherwise. Wouldn't that be a little awkward? You know when you're waiting at the elevator? And also the doors open, you're needing to go up, maybe you're on a tight schedule and there's one lady in there. As, as far as what I've understood and read, I mean, he, he doesn't get in, he waits. Now some of us feel like that's extreme. But what's scripture telling us? You have to be extreme. Doesn't mean you have to do it exactly the way he did, but you know your, your, you know your temptation and you have to take those measures. That's why I've, I've said it jokingly, but truthfully, if I ever was in a situation where someone put me in a situation where I felt like there was a temptation that was going to come between me and my wife, you'd probably see me running down 102. Like, what, what is Pastor CJ going? All 250 pounds of me running just as fast as I can. It, it, it's because I guard what the Lord has created in my home and with my wife and with my family so much that I will go to whatever extreme it takes. You know, if a woman walks into a restaurant, it is in the human nature, the sinful nature, men, for us to turn and look. And listen, you will, you will naturally do that, but it's what you do after that. It's the second and third look. The problem occurs when I take that second and third look, and, when, and that's when you and I begin to allow our thought life to become more active than it should. And you might say, oh, but Pastor CJ, I, I just look once. And I say, yes, but I, I didn't mean like for five minutes or ten minutes or turned into meditation. This is a radical solution Jesus is, is, is giving us. He's saying, listen, can you think of anything more horrible? It's one thing to be punished in a country for thievery and get your hand chopped off. It's another thing for you to make the, the conscious decision, right, Jonathan, to say, look, I've got three things offending me, my heart, my hand, and my eye, and I've got to start taking them out. And have to make that decision. And like I said, he's not really advocating for us to amputate body parts. But he's just saying that's the intensity. That's the severity. That's the zeal. That's what you have to do. That's the intensity in which you have to run from and eradicate things from your life. Listen, some of you have friends in your life right now that as long as you stay around those people, you will never fully become what God has created you to be. Because you're not strong enough yet. I can tell you from testimony that there is a time when you will get strong enough and you can go back around them. They aren't going to impact you, but they are going to wonder what in the world just hit them. And I can go around the old biker community that, that when I ran from the Lord, that I, 
In fact, one of them just passed away recently, and, I, and it's really taken me down memory lane because that was one I was really close to. But I remember when he caught me after we'd moved here. I wasn't pastor of here yet. I was working at Walmart Home Office. And Jennifer and I and a friend of hers from college, we were in Eureka Springs, and they had a bike festival. He was from Springfield, and we were sitting in a little outdoor restaurant there eating. And all of a sudden, I saw Jennifer and I. Actually, Jennifer and I weren't even married then. We were dating. And I saw her eyes get big, and, and these guys walked up with ketchup and mustard bottles. They had recognized me, and they were about to just drench me. I mean, they weren't having fun until you get kicked out of a place. That was, <laughs> that was how it was. And we got to talking afterwards, and I explained to them how I'd given my heart back to the Lord, and I was, you know, uh, the whole time I was around them, I was in denial of what God had called me to do and all this. And those guys, as rough as they were, said, well, shame on you for not thinking that we wouldn't have respected that and we wouldn't have cheered you on. Shame on you for being gone and disappearing and not talking to us again. You know, here's the thing. God will open the door for you to come back to those people who you really care about. But if they are bad influences, if they are ones that are causing you to stumble in the area of lust or any of these other things we're talking about, you need to, you need to cut it off. You need to cut that off for a time. When God got back a hold of me and I had to get away from the motorcycle community, my bike was very recognizable because I had an airbrush paint job that was very you know, unique. I had to quit riding my motorcycle and put it away and I had an old truck. I couldn't be seen in it because they would recognize me come along and I wouldn't be strong enough to stay away from that until God had done a work in me. I didn't know that. I'm just teaching from what God was gracious enough to, to help me understand before I was really mature enough in the Lord to understand it. Some of us are like, you got to understand, I've been a friend with this person since I was a kid, or they'll hate me if I cut off things. Listen, it'd be better for you to cut off that than for you to burn for eternity in hell because you have never fully surrendered to the Lord. They are holding you from doing that. Your dedication to them is what, what is keeping you. When you walk into this place and you feel the presence of the Lord and you feel that draw, you feel that pull, and you want so badly to, when you look across the aisle and you see, or you see me acting like a fool dancing around, just something's going on in me, and you desire that, but you just don't know what it's going to take to get that, I'm telling you, you've got to get the kind of zeal where you're ready to cut things off that are the most important to you, that seem vital, that seem like they're life-threatening. You've got to cut that off to get there. And just like me, all of a sudden, years later, you'll still have struggles. There'll be new ones, right? Why do they say new level, new devil, right? But you're going to be amazed at where God's taking you from. I had a conversation with my own sister yesterday. She came out to help on the project. And it was about, I won't go into what it was about, but it just, the things that the Lord led me to say in that to my own sister when she's seen me in my goofiest, stupidest times of my life, seen how stupid I can be. I can't give credit to myself. The Lord is growing me, and he's putting the word in my heart, but it's a matter of surrender. Every time you surrender something else, God fills that, that void that you gave up, that the enemy had put there. He fills it with something that's going to that's gonna send you so far the other direction. I mean, next thing you know, you'll be speaking into other people's lives. Like, how can I say that? I don't have the right to. I've messed up just like them. I, I've done that. I was right there with them. How can I say those things in their life? It's because you aren't standing on your righteousness as we spoke about before. It's on the righteousness of Jesus. He has covered your sins when you, but you have to surrender. Just in the last few moments we have, listen, I want, I want, when we come together, I want you to leave with information that really tells you how vital this is. And so we're going to look at something out of scripture, some statistics. Some of these are a little bit a few years old, 
and then some of them I'm going to give you are newer. Um, by 2015, mobile adult content and services reached 2.8 billion per year. Mobile adult subscriptions reached nearly 1 billion. And mobile adult video consumption on tablets, they, they estimate would triple by 2018, so by now. There's another um, source by a, a website called WebRoot, and they titled this article, Internet Pornography by the Numbers, A Significant Threat to Society. And here's some things that they said. They said that um, every second, every second of every day, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography every second. 372 people are typing the word adult into a search engine every second. This is every day, 37 porno pornographic videos are created in the United States. 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. 68 million search queries related to pornography. 25% of the total searches are generated. Listen, it's 116,000 queries related to child pornography are received. So listen, we don't have to be a psychologist. We don't have to be too smart to figure out that from 2015 to now, the rise of the porn industry to billions and billions, $16 billion. The, 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 the push for Christians to quit judging people and let, and let them do as they wish and, and the sexuality that we see on the internet and TV and you go on a website and all of a sudden something pops up, you're like, where'd that come from? Is it any wonder while child trafficking and all this stuff is rampant and getting worse and worse, is it any wonder why we're talking about gender confusion and whether someone should be able to just decide what gender they are in their head and everybody treat it as if it's fact? It's no mystery, but here we could as a church sit there and say, yeah, that world out there, that's pretty nasty and bad. But statistics are showing we've got the problems in the church too. And I said women, I was talking mostly men, but I'm going to let you know that you're going to deal with this one way or another, whether it's you that has this issue or you are married or interested in marrying a man that has this issue, it will, it will ruin a marriage in no time. A man is fooling himself to think that he can have this fancy thought life and he's not going to treat his spouse differently. And I'm talking about worse. The expectations that you'll have on her are fantasy that no one can live up to. And once you get to that point, you're going to start feeling anger or frustration or disappointment on a regular basis towards her. And it will change how you treat her. And listen, this leads to divorce as much as anything else that we see. It goes on how online pornography affects Americans. About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 200,000. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornographic content through ads, pop-up ads, misdirected links, or emails. And then it goes on one-third of porn viewers are women how internet pornography usage hurts teens. It increases the odds of teen pregnancy. Uh, the, the amount that they're seeing of shared pornography among teens through texting is becoming so rampant that they are directly correlating the rise in teen pregnancy to the use of the devices to share pornographic images and uh, content. But here's the thing, it's also there's a rise in depression 
And so uh, what I want to do is sum this up and say this. This isn't the 50s where I'm trying to vilif vilify the TV antennas on the roof, okay? Those cell phones are also used. The Assemblies of God has a program called Network 21 where they reach out through the Internet. We have Internet churches. We have churches live streaming. God can use it, but we have to be so diligent. Just like we're getting ready to cut off a hand or eye and say, listen, whatever we have to do. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think someone today can function without text and internet on the phone? Somebody, that's better response than first service. Because honestly, we have to think about it for a while, don't we? Because we want so bad in our spirit to say that we can be independent of it. We don't need it. But here's the truth of the matter. More grandmas and grandpas are getting internet on their phones and texting and joining Facebook. Why? Not because they need it or because their generation all of a sudden like, wow, we've been missing this forever. It's because their grandkids and their kids are so heavily on involved in it and now are so bad at face-to-face -face relationships. That's the best way they can connect with their family is because everybody's so busy and so tied up. And even when you get together, everybody's staring at the phones. And if I'm going to get their attention, I, I get on Facebook because at least they're listening and responding, right? I'm not happy about it. I remember a time when the phone was getting so bad to me, I was driving, I almost tossed out the window. I thought, no, my OCD would kick in, and I'd think about the money I spent on it, and I'd have to go search the field for it. But, but listen, whatever it takes for you to discover what God wants to do in your life, that's something that's countercultural right now. We're too much about what's easy. What, what will come easy? I need a better job. I need it now. I need a better home, I need it now. I need a better car, that's just how much payment I can afford. You can't go to a car lot now and talk about how much the total price is anymore. They'll, they've all got how much down and how much a month. Because we're about our immediate needs instead of the long-term effects, the consequences of our actions. We'll just worry about later. And what's most countercultural is, is that we didn't create the timeline that God's on, nor can we change it. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and we're headed for a time when we've got limited time to convince this world through the power of the gospel that, listen, you don't have to throw away your phone, you don't have to turn off your internet, but you better have military diligence. You better be strategic in how you handle those things because they will tear you apart and your family apart and separate you from God. More and more we're going to see where people are feeling depressed, and lonely. We can be in this room full of people. I guarantee you every person in here within the last two years has probably had a, had a bout of loneliness. Now, I could be wrong on that, but I don't want to say every single person. And they're showing that the cell phone use is causing depression and feeling lonely. So how is it you can be a room full of your family? I have a large family. We can get together. How is it big families like that could get together and still people feel lonely in that room? It's because just being physically present doesn't satisfy what God's created us to be to each other. And that's why the Lord led us to look at each other. How hard was that to look each other in the eye and sing? I, lo I looked around because I was looking at something, and I could, I could see, and I'm not, I'm not hitting on you here. I'm not, not trying to make things bad on you, but, but I saw some. It was virtually impossible, wasn't it, to sing that song and look somebody in the eye. All that's evidence of is, think of it this way, that's where you're at now. And God wants you to a point where you can look them in the eye and sing that we're going to be in heaven together and when we worship, we see your face. Because he's created us in his image 
and the more we get rid of the junk of the world and our image becomes like his, then there shouldn't be any problem or hindrance or weird feeling about looking each other eye and talking about the Lord and singing to him. Because Isaac, I plan to see you in heaven, whether we get there at the same time or separately, but I want to see you in heaven. And Chris, I want to be singing the praises of the king with you. Mitch, I want to be singing praises of the king with you. And so when I look at you in your eyes, I don't see all the things that you may tell me about past struggles. I don't see that. I just see that, man, we are here. We've got opportunity to conquer the crud that this enemy tries to throw on us and be victorious together. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning that, God, we are we are in this together. God, what an amazing thing that every story is different in this room, yet you have knitted together and you've brought us together. Some will remain. Some might be on a venture where you're landing them somewhere else. But God, whoever you're bringing here to be a part of this body, to, to carry on together, that God, it's not just we happen to be here. It's not even the reason we think we're here. It's not even that person. That person invited us or that person brought us or we come because of that person. But, but God has been doing everything he can to bring us together. Sometimes just to hear the thing we heard this morning is that those things that are separating us from you, that sin, those thoughts, the lust, the pride, the envy, the greed, those things that are keeping us from drawing closer together and closer to you, you want us to cut out of our lives that we might finally realize the fullness of who you created us to be. No matter what mom and dad thought we were, no matter what we have thought we were, you have a plan chances are it is far different than we've ever imagined ourselves to be. And what an awesome thing to be able to fully realize that plan in our lives, the fulfillment of that. So I pray right now over each person here today, God, that we would not leave without a resolve in our heart, without a dedication in our heart, that God, we are going to chase headlong fast after you, Lord, that we are going to cut out those things. Lord, it's not in our own power, but God, through prayer, if it requires fasting, Lord, if we're pumping worship music in our head all day long, every moment we end, we are going to obsess about separating ourselves from the things that, that make us forget about you. Lord, that draw us away from you and from others. We want the intimacy with you and with those you place in our lives to be what you have called it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you. Uh, Thank you for hanging with me this morning. A little different service. And it just might be a little different next week too. But uh, come and bring someone to share what God is doing in your life. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday.